0: of the Roden Fellows, hand-picked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows.
1: I'm Mania Shabazz from Grambling State University in Grambling, Louisiana.
2: And I'm Isaiah Smalls from Morales College in Atlanta, Georgia.
0: Hello, everybody. I'm coming to you from our studio in New York City. It's been a month since the president of the United States cursed NFL players who knelt during the national anthem and suggested that they be fired. But now things have become even more complex because there is a controversy between Colin Kaepernick and the other contingent of players about whether he was or was not invited in future meetings with NFL CEOs. I'll be keeping my eye on that story. And, of course, the World Series. I'm mourning the loss of Dusty Baker, who was fired as the manager of the Washington Nationals. And Joe Girardi is out of a job, too. But the World Series has been more exciting, I think, than any World Series in the last 20 years. My guest is the great Pedro Gomez, just a legendary um, journalist, broadcaster, lifelong baseball fan, uh, and he's talking to us live from Minute Maid Park in uh, Houston where he's going to see games 3, 4, and 5. Hey, Pedro, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for being here.
3: Still my absolute pleasure. You yeah. and I go way, way back. So way back. Two, happy to be here.
0: I know. Me, me, <laughs> me too. Hey, listen, let's just get right into it. What do you think about this series? I mean, Game 2 had to be one of the class. I mean, you've, you've, you've covered 22 of these. Where does that game rank in terms of World Series games you've seen?
3: I, I would say it's in the top three or four I'm I'm trying to think off the top of my head the greatest games I've seen. I would say Game 7 of 2001 when the uh, Diamondbacks came back and beat the Yankees. I would say Twins, Braves, both Game 6 and 7 at the Metrodome. This definitely was a classic Game 2 here, and I think this is a game that probably we will be talking about for decades.
0: Mm. Hey, let me ask you before I forget this. Uh, When I saw you in Bristol and we started talking about getting on your show, I think I saw you the day that your son – uh, was drafted uh, by the Red Sox. Um, just tell me how you feel. I mean, I know for any parent, we want our kids to do well. But you being a lifelong baseball person, a fan, a baseball journalist, uh, how did how did you feel about your your son? Uh, and what I'm sorry, this his, his, his is your what's your oldest Rio. Yeah. yeah,
3: Rio. This is my oldest Rio. Yeah. How, how did you feel? Um, Bill, it was amazing, because when you think of how many players are eligible for the draft every year, because it's every high school senior, it's everybody who's in junior college, it's everybody who's at a four-year school that's in year three or four, and we're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of players who are eligible, and only 1,200 get drafted. Mm. And to have his name called was the thrill of a lifetime, obviously for him, but more so, I would say, for me, because you know I love baseball so much. And because, you know, baseball was the game I grew up loving and playing Mm. as a kid, I think it's like anything. Any parent will kind of steer your children toward the sports that you enjoy most. So, you know, if I had been a hockey player or loved hockey, I think my kids would have played hockey. But, you know, they play baseball because of my influence, I would say. And then for him to make it to the University of Arizona and then get drafted by the Red Sox, I can tell you that it was nothing but tears Mm. when his name popped up on the screen. And the Red Sox had chosen him. And, you know, he ended up going to Fort Myers, rookie ball, playing about six weeks there, did very well, and got promoted to short season A-ball in the New York Penn League, which uh, was Lowell, Massachusetts, for the Red Sox affiliate. So Mm. I got to watch him at both places. And, Bill, I mean, you saw me about a week after the draft. I'm still swelling with pride <laughs> over over what he's accomplished.
0: Maybe, maybe you'll be uh, covering him in the World Series pretty soon. How special would that be?
3: <laughs> Talk about tears. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to contain myself, Bill. Wednesday,
0: after after that great game, too, you tweeted, this is yet another example of why baseball has the most drama of any sport. No clock means you cannot take a knee. Uh, what motivates what you to say that?
3: You know what? I, I love that in baseball you have to get – every last out for the game to end. Mm -hmm. You know, in football, if you've got a 20-point lead with three minutes to go, Mm -hmm. you can slow the game down, run the ball. You know, your quarterback can take a knee and run 40 seconds off the clock between each one. Well, you can't do that in baseball. You've got to run through the finish line. For me, that's one of the best aspects because the Astros are trailing in the ninth inning against Kenley Jansen, Mm -hmm. who some people might say is arguably the best closer in the game. I personally would say is the best closer in the game and has been a mountain of a man as a closer, and yet Marwin Gonzalez, who's a utility player for the Astros, steps in and hits a solo shot off of Kenley Mm -hmm. Jansen to tie the game in the ninth inning. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that I think baseball, the drama of baseball offers. I know that I get arguments from you know, people who love the other sports, but for me, this is what makes baseball the greatest sport, that you have to run through the finish line in order to win the
0: game. So when this broadcast airs, what do you think we'll be talking about?
3: I think we'll be talking about the Astros heading back to Los Angeles for game six. And I think the Astros will have a three games to two lead Mm. in the World Series. Mm. And it'll set up what could very well be a fantastic final either day or two Mm. to the 2017 season. And I think that uh, that's how it should be. I mean, you should end on the highest of high notes for your sport. And I think baseball is definitely leaning in that direction right now.
0: That's great. Well, hopefully I'll see you in Los Angeles because I think that's going to be classic. Our guest has been the great uh, Pedro Gomez. Uh, it's a legendary, uh, i say he's a legend, uh legendary oh, journalist at, at ESPN. Uh, hey, Pedro, I need
3: you to call my wife and tell her that.
0: Listen, we all know how that works, Pedro. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a thing, you know, uh, Red, Red Holtzman uh, in his book, you know, he was talking about he was having that great year and the Knicks going to the final, and he was all full of himself, and he got home, and his wife said, Red! you the garbage.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I get that. Every time I come home, if it's Uh, Tuesday, hey, garbage is coming tomorrow. Let's
0: go. (laughs) But I'm the great (laughs) Pedro Gomez. (laughs) Hey, Pedro, thank you so much, man. You're the best.
3: Oh, Bill. It's always a pleasure, man. Okay.
0: Enjoy the games. All right. Thanks, Billy. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll discuss the recent shootings at Grambling State University and in general, campus safety at HBCUs. Stay tuned. If you're just now tuning in, you're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm Bill Roden, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Mania Shabazz and Isaiah Smalls. Uh, We're going to switch gears from the uh, World Series to the uh, more serious issue of campus safety. Uh, Last week during Grambling's homecoming, two men in their early 20s were shot and killed. A freshman at the school, Jalen Wayne, has been arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Uh, Our condolences, of course, go out to everyone involved. Uh, Here to help us understand the situation and what could be done to prevent incidents like this in the future is Grambling State Police Chief Howard Cavendish. Welcome to the show.
4: Well, thank you, sir. It's good to be here. Thank you for inviting me on.
0: Absolutely, yes. And again, sorry under these circumstances. When shootings like this happen on campus, what's the first thing that you and your staff do? what do What do you tell students?
4: Well, it's very important that we all come together as a family. This was an isolated incident. It's not like we had an active shooter of someone coming on campus just shooting people for whatever thrill they may get out of, like we've seen across the country, you know. We get with the counselors, the counselors come out. We try to let the students know that we're doing all that we can to apprehend the person or persons responsible in this case, we actually apprehended the person responsible in less than forty eight hours uh normally on a double homicide it normally it would take up to you know six months or year or years to to solve something like that but fortunately you know we we had the assistance with the lincoln parish sheriff's office and and also my office and and we were we were able to to bring this to a close fairly quickly. And we couldn't have done it without the Lincoln-Perry Sheriff's Office. I have to add that.
0: Mm-hmm. And I know that uh, Mania wants to ask you a couple of questions because she actually wrote about campus safety and she reported that violent incidents are actually rare. I, I want to know, is, is this changing? But before you talk about whether this is changing, uh, how how do you assure parents that you know that this is not a reoccurring event or that this is, as you said, an isolated incident and their children are safe?
4: I've spoken with several parents since this has happened and assured them that, you know, I was here for 34 hours straight when it happened. I can't leave. This is one of my kids. I'm a father first, then I'm a police chief. Kids of my own I have twin 17-year-old boys, and uh, I weeped out there on the scene that night because these are my kids laying out there just like this. They might not be my birth children, but I look at them as my children because I, this is where I live. I live at Gramley State University. Mm. I give out my telephone number to every parent, to every class I talk to, to every organization I talk to to have that assurance that, that you're talking straight to the police chief. You've got to call at 12.06 a.m. My phone stays on me 24-7. I'm always available. And uh, my officers are there in less than one minute. We are here. We are, we are staffing our office as we speak. This has brought to light you know, more staffing needs as far as the police department is concerned. And President Gallo is assuring me that we will be fully staffed in the very near future.
2: Hi Chief Cavanus. This is Isaiah Smalls from Morales College. As Mr. Roden mentioned, we all wrote stories about campus safety on our respective campuses, but what I wrote about specifically was how there was a lack of transparency in terms of our campus police. So I'm just wondering how important is establishing that personal relationship
4: with students? It's imperative. I think it's very important that the students know that they have someone within the police department, No, not just someone, but the person that's running the police department, that they feel that the, he genuinely cares for their safety and he's not just here for a paycheck. And I assure you, that's not my case, being here for a paycheck. Uh, I've had other opportunities to go elsewhere, but I, I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to stay right where I'm at. I have a radio show here also where I talk about safety here at, at the university, and I've, and I've written columns. In fact, I co-authored two books on, on campus safety and how to keep from being a victim.
0: Some critics have said that the school's open campus is was actually to blame for the shootings. What do you think about that, and do you, you think Grambling may become a closed campus because of that?
4: This was between two individuals that uh, had a beef between each other. It's not like someone just came on campus just looking for someone to inflict pain or death upon. I think the open campus is something that needs to be addressed. We have talked about putting guard shacks up at the front and the back part of the campus to monitor traffic, check IDs coming in and that type of deal. Uh, we have a city street that runs through the middle of our campus that, that we do not have jurisdiction over, which would make it hard for us to block that street for those purposes. But I know all that is in negotiations right now between the president and the city of Grambling. So, Chief Cavanaugh, do you feel safe on campus in light of the tragic events? Personally, I do feel safe. I feel like we do have some defiant students on campus that don't want to see us here, and uh, we tend to get blamed for everything, whether, uh, and I'm being facetious here, but, you know, having a toothache to a, they can't get the car unlocked. You know, we're not to catch all and blame all of everything. Uh, we're doing... The best we can with the resources we have the night that this was called in and when i got to the scene i called the lincoln paris sheriff's department in because they do have more experienced personnel to come in and handle crime scenes such as this i mean a double homicide is the worst crime scene you can actually go to so um they were glad to work with us and we have a really good rapport all the universities in louisiana call me offering to send officers up for help during this homecoming week and you know we have a we have a large amount of people coming here Last year we had, uh, we think, we excess of 50,000 people came on campus. No one was injured or was reported injured. There was only one arrest, and that happened on the Sunday at the ending of the homecoming week. It was very, very successful the last two and a half years. Unfortunately, this year, you and I both know it hasn't been successful, and fortunately we're going to do everything we can to keep that from happening again. But, the, you know, the students have got to be involved also, having parties in their rooms and going to other rooms and having parties and fights. We need to know about this. This time of week, we've got people coming on this campus that don't belong here. And you know, with ten, fifteen thousand people at a time, and you got six officers out there, it's hard for us to to really uh, know who belongs here and who doesn't belong here. Do you- I have a question for you, Mania? Actually, in light of these uh,
2: troubling incidents, do you feel safe on campus?
1: Yes, I. Feel safe on campus during the day. When it comes to nighttime, that's where it kind of gets a little troubling, especially when we have students that come on campus and we don't know if they go there or not. After this incident, of course, you know, I do kind of feel cautious about being safe. And the only problem that I would have is when, like, outside students do come on campus and they kind of gather in large crowds and they're in their cars. And I don't, you know, I get nervous walking past them. But other than that, during the day, I do feel safe. But in light of this incident, it's troubling.
0: Outside of adding police officers, I mean, do you think that there's something else that could be done? Any other measures that could be done, either whether it's school officials, um, students?
1: I think that students should sign guests into their dorms. But if we can somehow get some barricades up as far as preventing people from coming on campus, also some of the gates to the dorms, they don't always work on campus. And that would be great if they do work to, you know, prevent people who, do not stay in those dorms from coming in. And I didn't know I could call uh, the police, so that's a good tidbit.
0: You know, I'd like to uh, bring in Ezekiel Payne, who's been waiting patiently in the wings. I'd like to bring uh, Ezekiel into the conversation. Ezekiel is a senior at Morehouse College, and he was actually pepper sprayed during uh, homecoming prior to a concert. Ezekiel, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Sure. Well, how did you get pepper sprayed? Who who did it? Well,
5: uh, I was in the line. I'm trying to go into the Travis Scott concert, and there was a lot of people. We were in line just chilling, trying to get in, and kids were, like, pushing and stumbling over other kids just to get in the concert. It was kind of late, so Travis Scott was about to come out. So it was a hot dog crowd, and, like, the I don't know who it was, but I think it was security. They just sprayed, pepper sprayed everybody in the in the crowd, um, that, that was my first time ever getting pepper sprayed, so I, I just fell to the ground because I, I heard, like, you're supposed to get water, put water in your eye when you get pepper sprayed, and um, I couldn't do that, so I had to just wait 30 to 45 minutes to put water in my eye <laughs>
0: What 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 did Morehouse do um, in the aftermath? Did they find out who did it?
5: I, I haven't heard anything about it. I told faculty and some of the security, but they just, they said they don't know who did it. One security said it was a student, but I didn't believe that.
1: Will the school do anything to prevent this kind of incident from happening in the future?
5: I hope so. There's a lot of outsiders from the college going to the concert. So I think that was like the main problem.
2: Uh, Yeah, just to add on to what Zeke said, Travis Scott brings out a very diverse group of fans. I kind of marveled at the fact of how many people were out. Obviously, Morehouse is a HBCU, so there is, of course, a lot of black people. But then there is people, I guess, from Georgia Tech and Georgia State who are white, Asian, and and Indian, and everybody. I was just I mar- I was just in awe, just like wow. Usually, um, the line for homecoming is extremely long. Doors open, I think, at like eight. Usually, there's a line starting at like probably around six outside, but it had started at like five, and it was down the street at five o'clock, and I it was like, oh god, something. Something was going to happen,
0: mm. Chief Kevin, Let me ask you a question—a um, a larger question. Um, it seems like one of the strings here, the uh, threads here, is just the openness of campus. And then I was walking around the Morgan campus uh, last week, and I—you I, know—I walked through other campuses too, and um, I was just struck by just—you know—you just kind of walk on campus and you walk around, and uh, even today I was at Hofstra University. And I was just walking through buildings, you know, and um, I just wonder in light of things that are happening, are we going to have to really, as law enforcement and people on campus, are we going to just have to change the way we go about things? Or are we just going to maintain this openness? Because it, it seems that from Las Vegas to now Grambling at Morehouse and other colleges, it seems like there has to be a different tact. What, what do you think?
4: I, I certainly understand what you're asking. And, and, and you're, you're right. Putting fences up. Around a, a school to keep people alive, you know that's that's really ludicrous. But that is the time that we're in. I don't want our students to feel like they're institutionalized, like in a penal institution. But nope. nobody wants to feel that way, you know. But on the other hand, you know you have people that can just wander in into the campus, like you're talking about. We have two campuses here close to us um, within a 50 mile radius: ULM, University of Louisiana Monroe, and Louisiana Tech. They're open campuses too. They have their fair share of problems. Have they had a homicide? ULM has, not this year, but it's, they have in the past. And I can't, I can't talk about tech because I don't know, but. There is definitely a problem there. It's going to take the administrators listening to qualified security experts to make changes to the university. If we put up a, a guardhouse on each end of this university, and there's one, you know, there's two ways in, and we got both those ways covered, and we keep those guardhouses staffed with guards and checking IDs as you come in. If you're not a student, what are you here for? And we, you know, we capture your tag, your license plate when you come in. Someone wanting to inflict pain is likely going to pick a, another place to do that instead of here.
0: Hmm. Hey, let, let me ask you, uh, before, well, as we wind down uh, to Isaiah and uh, Mania, what, what precautions uh, will you two take as individuals?
1: I think precautions that I would take, it's a definitely traveling groups, just to make sure that I don't have any isolated incidents as far as, you know, robbery or or anything of the nature. Um, I also think that I would tell people where I'm going and when I get to my destination,
2: Personally, one of the things that I always do is be aware of your surroundings, and that involves not walking down long, dark streets with headphones on. I have a pair of Beats, and so I love listening to music when I walk. But you know, if it's around eight o'clock at night and I'm walking to to the Suites, which is uh, off campus, uh, it's a dorm that's about five minute walk from the edge of campus. You know, I take those off. I put those in my bag. I walk. I don't, I want to say swiftly, but I mean, I walk like with a purpose. Um, one of the things that my father always told me was to speak to the people that, you know, when you walk by them, to speak to them, uh, either just saying hi or give a nod or something, because he said that they're, they'll they be less inclined to rob you. I don't know if that's true.
4: That's absolutely but, true. Your father's very yeah. smart.
2: Yes, that's that's something that I always do. I always at least give a head nod or say, you know, what's up or how's it going? And of course, what Mania said, walking groups, um, And then, obviously, text your friends like, hey, I'm leaving my house now. Uh, I'll text you when I'm outside, just so people can know where you are.
5: I
1: actually um, have a question for you and Ezekiel as well. Do you guys feel safe on your Morehouse College campus?
5: Yes, I feel safe. Um, I feel like the security and the staff, we came a long way since our freshman year. We had a lot of robberies our freshman year. Now, I I rarely hear about any.
2: I think we're doing a better job at that. Personally, I do feel safe on campus. The burglaries on campus have actually climbed since 2014, our freshman year. We've actually upped our security as of late because of the incidents. I think there've been nine robberies or nine incidents on campus as of uh, late. And so, yeah, even in light of that, I still feel safe on campus.
0: Hopefully we won't have to talk about this again, but this is the reality. This, This is where we are. Uh, in 2017. But anyway, I'd like to thank uh, you, Chief Calvinist. Uh, thank you, Ezekiel. And of course, uh, uh, Mania and um, Isaiah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you Bye okay, bye. Before we close out, we'd like to leave everybody with some thoughts to consider. Jamil Hill is back on the job at ESPN after being suspended for two weeks for what the company considered improper tweets. The larger question I'd like to ask to our two Roden fellows is as young, aspiring journalists, what did you learn from the uh, Jamil Hill episode? Uh, Mania Shabazz are grambling.
1: I learned how powerful social media is um, in our society. They always talk about it in a stance of if you are applying for a job and to make sure that, you know, your social media accounts are clean, you know, but they don't really talk about after. And it just showed me how, especially while you're in your job, you need to um, maintain the message of what the company stands for or else it can um, impact your job. So it really just taught me, you know, to pay attention to my social media, especially as I go into
0: a career. Isaiah Smalls from Morehouse, what did you learn?
2: To piggyback off of uh, what Nia said, I learned that not everything needs to be on social media. The point of social media is for connecting. Jamel has oh, like 850,000 followers, and of course she doesn't agree with all of them, and you can see how she uh, has made a habit of you know responding to people's tweets in uh, comical ways. But sometimes if you hold a very unpopular opinion, maybe it does not belong on social media. That's what I took away from it. There's a bunch of things that I say on a daily basis that if I would have put that on my social media, that I might be in the same position. But it really taught me to not put everything on social media. Some stuff, it just doesn't deserve to be there. Some things just need to be talked about and left in purely conversation.
0: Well, what's clear is that uh, we're still evolving and the rules are still evolving, and I'm sure that in the next year, two years, the uh, distinction between private and public is going to be a lot clearer. At any rate, that's all the time we have right now, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Matthewson, Tony Chow, and Martin Unabell are in the control room. Special thanks to David Cummings. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as All Day. What are those? And Morning roasts by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everybody.